We'll be reading this morning from Exodus 5 through 6, uh, 1. So Danielle will be reading that for us. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is this Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore, they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor, labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all of your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle, you are idle, that is what you say. Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in his, in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you done evil to these people? Why, have, why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. This is the word of the Lord. Would you guys pray? Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you uh, that we have your word. We thank you that we get to read stories like this. Uh, we thank you um, that you chose to include this story um, in the Exodus narrative. And Father, I pray that as a result of hearing this word just read, um, we'd be cut to the heart. Um, 
we'd be transformed um, and we would want to go out and worship you as a result. Uh, we ask all this uh, in, the, in the name of your son and in the power of your spirit. Uh, amen. Well, if you are new with us, uh, my name is Rob, and I am no longer coming to you from my basement, but I'm actually here um, uh, at the Emmons' house for their house-to-house gathering, so occasionally you might see me look off um, over to a couple of folks that are here uh, at the Emmons' house, um, but um, yeah, just want to welcome you. If you're new with us, you're, you're actually catching us partway through the first leg of our journey through our new sermon series in the book of Exodus that we are titling Made Known to Be Made Known. God makes himself known uh, to certain people in order to be known uh, by all nations. And in this passage, we just heard read, uh, Moses and the people of God just experienced something that you and I experience regularly. And that is disappointments because our expectations have not been met. I mean, if we're honest, we all have expectations for relationships. We have expectations, some of you uh, students uh, in the room, you have expectations for this upcoming school year. I mean, don't you? you, you're hoping it'll be canceled. You don't have to go into the classroom or you have expectations that maybe uh, the Pittsburgh parks will open up the pools for the remainder of the summer. Um, some of us has expectations for what careers we have. Um, we even have expectations for the weather. Um, and that's revealed by the amount that we complain about the weather. And so I'm curious, so what, what do you do when your expectations aren't met? Where do you run to when others let you down? How do you respond to others? How do you respond to God when things don't go the way that you would have hoped? You see, we even have expectations of God. And often, our expectations of God lead to disappointment and despair. Because often we expect him to do and be things that he has never promised to do or be. And this is the predicament that we find Moses and the Israelites facing. They're expecting God to be and do something that he hasn't yet promised to do. However, this is the, the beautiful news of this passage. This is what I hope you walk away from this sermon with. However, when, when we expect what God's word promises, when we expect what God's word promises, we can expect to find strength and not despair for any predicament. Let me say that one more time. When we expect what God's word promises, we can expect to find strength, not despair, for any and every predicament. And we'll observe this through three movements today. The first movement is the refusal. The second is the repercussions. And the third, the response. So we have the refusal, the repercussions, and the response. And so um, y'all ready to dive in? Great. Uh, the refusal. So after, after going to all of Israelites' leaders uh, to spread the good news about God's promised deliverance, 
Mo Moses and Aaron now find themselves before another leader, Pharaoh. If you look in verse one of chapter five, Moses says this to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. You see, it's, it's one thing to send a, a delegation to a sane leader to reach a mutual agreement about a decision. It's a whole nother scenario when you're sending a duo to try and convince a greedy and scared little boy in the body of a megalomaniac to stop his money-making and power-hungry slave operations. Let my people go. Pharaoh refuses. Now we must understand this is not Moses versus Pharaoh. This is Yahweh, the one true living God, versus the false gods of Egypt. This is the Lord's representative, Moses and Aaron, now coming up against the gods of Egypt representative, Pharaoh. God invites his people to put down their work and come and worship. Pharaoh says, take up more work and worship me. This is what happens when we worship false gods, false idols, whether it's today or in Pharaoh's day. And look what it leads Pharaoh to do, to mistreat God's image bearers. And the false gods even drive people like Pharaoh to think that they are gods. That's why in verse 2, when he says, who is Yahweh? Like, who, who is this Lord that I should obey him? I, I don't know him. Pharaoh's response is not one of inquiry. It's, it's one of defiance. He's basically saying, I don't acknowledge Yahweh. These are my slaves. These are my pawns in my scheme. And they stay put underneath my power. If we look in verse 3, Moses and Aaron try again. They say, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And in Pharaoh's second refusal, in verse 4, we, we begin to see more of his motivation that we saw all the way back in chapter 1 and chapter 2. His motivation is fear. His fear of losing power. You see, the, the, the people are many, he says, and fear of losing money because they'll rest from his money-making schemes of brick-making. And those deep fears led to utter defiance against God's word. And his defiance against God's words lead him to weigh down God's people. This refusal now gives way to the second point, the repercussions. So what we see in verse 16 through verse 18, Pharaoh unleashes a series of repercussions because the people of God on behalf of God are challenging his God complex. <laughs> He's saying, I want the same number of bricks now, but you go get your own straw. I'm not going to provide these things for you. You go get them yourself. Now, now, how many of you know the show Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe? 
right? That, that's, the, that's the show where people are doing less than desirable jobs for basically a despicable amount of money. <laughs> Brick making is not just disgusting and despicable, it's deadly. And your pay, it's a chance to survive in Egypt. Brick making was big business for Pharaoh. I want you to, to imagine, I want you to imagine slaves are surrounded by walls. These walls are so high, so they keep brick poachers out and keep those slaves at bay. They're dark. They're, they're other otherworldly places due to the dust and the smoke that are constantly in the air, constantly coating everything with this soot. I mean, think Pittsburgh back in the day with all their steel mills. And the kilns that fire the bricks require extra labor. Someone has to stoke the charcoal to keep them at the optimum temperature. And this was the, the worst job out of all the jobs. It's excruciatingly hot, it's dirty, it's sticky. And the workers would end up being covered with all that soot and dust until their sweat-soaked skin begins to harden and then crack open. All day long, these slaves would perform the back-breaking labor of packing mud and straw and clay into mold from the bricks. Then other workers, usually children, they would carry the bricks on their head to set them out in the sun to dry. And when they're done and they're dry enough to put into the kiln, the slaves carry them back, throw them into the kiln. This would happen hour after hour. That would give way to days after days that flow into months and then months that would fade into years. This was the reality of God's people in Egypt. And now Pharaoh says, you go get your own straw but same number of bricks. <clears throat> and when they couldn't produce the same daily minimum, they went and cried out to Pharaoh. And he whipped them. He beat them. He placed more burdens and work on their backs, called them lazy, called them liars. He's like, you want, you want to cry? I'll give you something to cry about. Now you get no straw to help you make those bricks. <clears throat> Now, I want you to notice something. Who did they turn to? Who did they cry out to in their despair? Here's who they did not cry out to. The only one who could deliver them, Yahweh. I mean, why did they cry? Why do we cry out to the pharaohs of our day? It's because we expect that the same governments, the same false gods and idols that place burdens on our backs might also be the same governments and false gods that might lift the burdens from our backs. I mean, this is what gods do, little g gods. I mean, this is what a little g god is. Anything that we turn into an ultimate thing. It's what an idol is. It's anything that we turn into an ultimate thing. And the more we expect from these idols, these false gods, the more they, they will make you work. The more they will place burdens on your back for freedom you will never see. So what we're doing is expecting, and what Israel is doing, expecting the created only to give 
what the creator has the authority to grant. Freedom, deliverance. And these further repercussions that come from Pharaoh, I mean, it's, it's predictable. I mean, this guy thought he was a god. If work was the way to keep these Israelites and these slaves quiet and obedient, this, this method that has worked for decades, then more work, even deadly work, was the way to restore quiet and obedience. These slaves have been at this dirty, tedious, painful work for decades with no relief in sight until now. Pharaoh refused. Pharaoh had repercussions. But now comes the third point, the response. So after these people cried out to Pharaoh, they then go and cry out to another created being, Moses and Aaron. Look at verse 21. It says, the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. And they put a sword in their hand to kill us. And so Moses does the only thing that an Israelite does. He then turns and blames God. <laughs> Look in verse 23. Uh, oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. I mean, this is like a direct recap from Genesis 3. Eve blames the snake for her disobedience and problems. Adam blames Eve for his problems. And then he eventually blames God. It was the woman you gave to me. Why? It's because they did not pay attention to the expectations of God's word. If you eat from that tree, you will surely die. And now the people of God here in Exodus 5, they blame Moses and Aaron for their disappointments and despair. And then Moses turned and blames God for all this evil. Why? Because they did not trust and take God at his word, like their forefather and foremother, Adam and Eve. They didn't trust him at his word. Nothing turned out how the Israelites and Moses expected all they heard was the good news that the Lord was on the move. And indeed, he was. He was on the move. But they did not hear the whole of it. I mean, did you notice the triumphalist threat of Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh that God never threatened? That he'll bring pestilence and sword? God never commanded them to say those things. No one had any expectation of trouble and trials ahead. Yet God's word was explicit. That we should be expectant of the trials and troubles. They believed, it says in chapter 4, verse 31, but they did not listen to God's word. What did they think a hard heart would do to Pharaoh? Make him gentle? Make him kind? Yes. Did God promise deliverance? Absolutely but he also promised a hard heart that would lead to hard predicaments. It could be said 
that the root of all disappointment and despair in a Christian life is the failure to hear and believe what God's word says. See, when we don't hear God's words clearly, we will develop false and unrealistic expectations for our lives. For our lives, like we're the center of it, similar to Pharaoh and his expectations for others to serve him, for God to even serve him. When we have false expectations of God's word and his promises, we'll have false expectations of, of others. For them to stand in and be the gods in our life, like Israel was thinking Pharaoh could be, or even Moses could be. And when we don't pay attention to the expectations that God lays out in his word, we'll have false and unrealistic expectations of God, like Moses did with God. See, when our expectations, which are up here, don't line up with God's reality, which is right here, what spans this gap are disappointments and despair. I mean, just, just do an exercise with me. Just, just think about the expectations that you have of others when you ignore God's word. We become like Pharaoh. When we view ourselves as gods, as the center of the universe, we'll force others to either serve us or to be recreated in our own image. I mean, just... Do people have to bow the knee to your political beliefs? Do you have to bow the knee to your preferences of what you think a friend should or should not be? Do they have to bow the knee to your comforts, to your cautions, even your courageousness during the COVID-19 season? Do they have to bow the knee to your views on how to specifically respond to the injustices in this world? I mean, if others don't live exactly like you, will you, like a taskmaster, require more of them? Like Pharaoh placing heavy burdens on them, heavy yokes that God never places on people, that God doesn't require of them? Or are you like Israel, expecting others something that only God can be for you? Are you expecting people to be your deliverer? Are you expecting people to be your source of comfort? Are you expecting them to be your source of deliverance from your loneliness? Or think of your expectations that you have of God. God, why haven't you done this for me? I've obeyed you. I've listened to you. I've committed to you. I've, I've submitted to you. I've stopped doing this. I've turned from that. Why won't you do what I want you to do? What leads to these expectations? It's the same thing that led Pharaoh, Israel, and Moses to theirs. Neglecting to put ourselves underneath the word of God. To pay attention to it. To submit to it and being immersed in God's word. See, most of our unrealistic expectations of others, and especially God, it comes from subtracting from God's word. Did God really say I was supposed to suffer as a Christian? Or it comes from 
adding to God's word. That if I obey God, he'll do exactly what I want him to do. It's exactly what Satan does in Genesis 3. He subtracts from God's word and he adds to God's word. But God, being rich in mercy, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, he does not shame Moses or the Israelites for, for forgetting his promises. He doesn't slap them on the wrist. He doesn't even punish them. Look what our God does for them and for us. He reminds us of his promises when we forget his promises. In chapter 6, verse 1, God says to Moses, Now you see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. With a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. That strong hand is God's hand. God promises deliverance. Not yet, but a deliverance to come. They can expect it. We can expect it. And you know what that does? That gives us comfort and strength in the midst of any disappointment, in the midst of any despair, and in the midst of any dilemma. Uh, there, there's a, a woman uh, in our church who's been ex experiencing sicknesses and pain and fatigue from her sickness for, for years now. And the, the elders, we, we've had a chance to pray over her, talk with her, encourage her. And I was struck by, by one thing that she shared with me. She, she shared with me at one time that, that God will either heal her of her sicknesses or God will heal her of her sicknesses. Mm -hmm. What she's saying is, he could heal me now, but isn't promised to. Mm -hmm. But he will hear, heal me later. He will heal me when I either die mm -hmm. or Christ comes to get me. Mm -hmm. God's promise is that he will heal her, maybe now, but for certain later. Amen. This is an expectation rooted in the promises of God's word that gave her strength in her pain and in her trial. Mm -hmm. But often we are like the Israelites, aren't we? I'm like the Israelites. Or I have expectations of God that he never says he expects of himself. He doesn't, doesn't promise those things. I mean, even when God sent Christ into the world to save the world from their sins, the world had expectations of Jesus that God never promised of Jesus. And the Jews anticipated that God wanted only to save them from the political threat. I mean, this is a recurring theme. It wasn't just with Pharaoh in Egypt. It was Nebuchadnezzar when they're in exile, and now it's with, with Caesar. That it was God's job to rid them of the political threat around them. But Jesus did not come to merely save us from what's outside of us. He came to save us for what's inside of us. Mm -hmm. He came to save us from our tyrant-like expectations that we place on ourselves and that we place on others. He came to save us from our evil ways where we take 
words out of God's mouth, or we try to put words into God's mouth to get God to say what we want him to say. He came to save us from our false and unrealistic expectations. Because rarely, rarely do we ever ask the question, what does God expect of me? Because I think we know what would happen if we answered that question. God expects us to love him with our whole being and love others as himself. God requires us, Micah 6, 8, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. When we think of that expectation, when we think about that standard, we're like the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, who says, what a wretch am I? But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for Christ Jesus, who has saved me from the punishment to come. You see, Jesus Christ, Jesus came knowing the expectations of God's word because Jesus Christ is the word manifested. He's the word made flesh and he moved into our neighborhood by living up to all the expectations and standards that God expects of us. He fulfilled all the promises. He fulfilled the law and he even fulfilled the curse of the law, even though that curse was meant to be placed on us. And he goes far above, above and beyond what we ever expected of ourselves. Mm-hmm. He doesn't just live the life in our place, but he dies the death in our place. He was whipped. He was beaten. He carried a burden on his back that we could not carry ourselves. The burden of our sin, the burden of the penalty for our sins, death. He carried upon his shoulders. And when he rose from the grave, which he promised to do, Mm -hmm. we need to expect that he does all that he promises to do. And he promised to raise from the grave three days later, and he did. And he proves that he can deliver us from the very oppression that we put ourselves under, our own sin puts us underneath an expectation that no one can bear. Amen. Jesus came to free us. Jesus came to save us. And Jesus is not like Pharaoh, that when we don't get the work done, he places more burdens on us. No, he's a good king. He's a good king that says, come to me, come to me, all you who are weary, call to me, come to me, all who are, who are laboring, come to me, all who are disappointed, who are in despair, who are worn out from the expectations and the burdens that this world has placed on you, and I will give you rest. My yoke, he says, is easy. My burden is light. Light, And he places that yoke upon our shoulders. And these are not heavy burdens for not following his law. No, he carried that burden. That was on the cross. He paid that penalty in full. But he gives us a light burden because he did the work for us on our behalf. And now he invites us into this new work. His yoke. His work. And when we are underneath his yoke, We know that the Father isn't despairing up in heaven. Why? Because we are attached to Jesus. We are doing the work 
with Jesus and Jesus is doing the work through us. And we know that the Father in heaven is not disappointed with us because all the expectations that we were meant to meet, Jesus met those expectations on our behalf. And do you know how we get that approval? How we get that acceptance? It's not by doing more work. It's by coming underneath Jesus's yoke and letting him do the work for us, in us, and through us. Our king is such a better king than we could ever be. Our king does not put expectations on us that he doesn't meet for us. See, when we are confident of these promises in Christ Jesus, we will find deep comfort and strength in Christ Jesus. When we know this, we'll stop expecting others to be recreated in our image. But instead, we'll be prayerfully patient and compassionate as we walk with others, as we watch the Spirit change them into the image of God's Son, Jesus. See, when we know this, we will stop running to created things to deliver us from the oppression of our sin and our shame and our fears and start running to the creator who wants to free us from all of those false expectations. So when we know this, we can continually come underneath the promise of Christ Jesus, underneath his yoke, and we can expect a light workload. It'll be easy on our souls, restful for our hearts, and light, because he's doing the work in us and through us. That he has promised that the work that he began in us, he will continue in us, and he will complete in us until the day he returns. That's his promise. When we are confident and we expect God to fulfill all of his promises, we will expect suffering. But it doesn't stop there. It's a suffering that leads to endurance, a suffering that leads to a perseverance, and a perseverance that leads to character, and a character that leads to hope. When we rest and expect God to fulfill his promises, we can say persecutions might come, but Christ will continue to build his church no matter, no matter what this world throws at us. And that gives us strength and comfort in any predicament. You see, when we, when we expect what God's word promises, we can expect to find strength, not despair, for our predicaments. And what does God promise to us? That one day, he's going to return. He doesn't promise that he'll give us a comfortable life now. But he does promise us his presence now, his Holy Spirit, which gives us comfort in the midst of our trials and our pain. And that future promise that he is coming does comfort us because one day there will be no more struggle. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more pain. Church, let's trust in that promise of God's word so we can find strength for any predicament. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I thank you for this word. I thank you.